This is an ABC podcast. As far as social media flurries go, this one took fire pretty much straight away. The New South Wales Department of Primary Industries is looking for something sort of unexpected and it needs the public's help to find it. They're looking for a shark. A shark that they had tagged with a tracking device a few months before, swimming off the coast of New South Wales. And one day, the department's GPS tracking shows that this shark, it's gone AWOL. The shark appears to have come ashore, obtained a driver's licence, and is now tearing around Wollongong. Theories flew around on Twitter at lightning speed. Where was this shark? Bull shark tracks travelling down major New South Wales highway. Right. So now I have to be scared of sharks on land. Probably attached itself to a real estate agent. Someone must know something. Could Sharknado be happening in Shell Harbour? But everyone had the same basic question. Could this shark and its tag ever be found again? I'm Elizabeth Coolass. Welcome to Days Like These. Today on the show, we're on the hunt for a research tag that could help unlock the secrets of the deep and of the apex predators who call it home. But will a team of researchers and citizen scientists be able to track down a lost shark tag before the signal goes dead? The New South Wales shark tagging program is run by Dr Amy Smoothie. Amy's been in the job for a decade, but she still gets some sceptical looks when it comes up at parties. You get that double look like, really? I'm only 156 centimetres myself. I'm a female working on these sharks. So people often look at me and, really, you're you're working on sharks? But the answer is yes, and I am a shark scientist. Amy specialises in the study of where sharks go and why. Her work focuses on the three species that are most likely to attack humans in Australian waters. Those are white sharks, tiger sharks and bull sharks. And the best way to learn a little about what they get up to is to tag them with tracking devices. And the shark in question today, it was tagged in January 2021. It's high summer at Evans Head on the north coast of New South Wales. On this particular day, an alert comes in just before noon. So the tagging boat heads out and they find a large animal tugging on the end of the line. And then it's quite heavy and so it's sort of like a game of tug-of-war. So we know then that we're, we're on. As they pull the line in, they can see that it's a bull shark swimming on the other end. So bull sharks are quite stocky. The length isn't so much the, the issue, it's the girthiness. They're very, very stocky animals. This stocky little bull shark that they're pulling to the surface gets logged in the system as Shark 94. And as he comes into full view, they get a good look at him for the first time. This shark was a 1.95 metre male bull shark. It's not sexually mature. It's likely to be around 70 kilos in weight and potentially 15 to 20 years old. So this is kind of a late teenage bull shark. Exactly. Yeah, a sub-adult, a teenager bull shark, if you like. We put a tail rope on the shark We roll the shark carefully over onto its back. Once the shark's onto its back, it goes into a state of 
tonic immobility. This is a trance-like state which allows uh, the researcher or the contractor to carry out the tagging procedure with minimal harm to the shark. The tag itself is called a pop-off archival tag. It's about 30 centimetres long. Half of it is made up of this round, black, rubber, light bulb kind of shape. And sticking out of that, the other half, is a long, thin antenna wire. And these tags either go onto the dorsal fin of the shark or just below in the muscle. And do you get excited when another shark gets tagged? Oh, absolutely. Whenever we put a tag on a shark, irrespective if it's the first or the 50th, we get really excited because we're unlocking the secret life of sharks, really. The whole thing takes about 15 minutes. And once they're done, the researchers tow this stocky, adolescent bull shark out about a kilometre from where he was caught. And releasing him back into the deep, they let Shark 94 get on with his sharky business. Tagging sharks in larger numbers started after a spate of attacks in the waters off Ballina in northern New South Wales in 2015. Surfers were knocked from their boards, some were seriously injured. One attack was fatal, and many locals were afraid to get back in the water. The department needed to find a way to keep people safe, but the sharks needed to be protected too. Sharks are one of the world's most misunderstood animals and they maintain the balance and health of our um, marine ecosystem. So we need healthy populations of sharks. We don't want to cull them. It's really important that they're in our waterways. The basic idea is the more we, the public, know about where these sharks go and when, the less likely we are to have an up-close encounter and the more comfortable we feel about sharing the water with them. So when a tagged shark passes a listening station or is spotted from the air, an alert is sent out through an app or on Twitter. New South Wales now runs the largest shark tagging program anywhere in the world. They've tagged more than 850 sharks in recent years. And the tag that's attached to Shark 94, it will stay attached for about three months, gathering detailed tracking information, which will be stored on the tag itself. And it's been pre-programmed so that when the time comes, a little pin will pop off and release the tag from Shark 94's dorsal fin. At that point, floating up to the water's surface, it will send a ping with its GPS coordinates as it sails along on the ocean's currents. And that is when the hunt begins. A few months pass after Shark 94 has been tagged. And late one evening in early May, Amy gets an alert on her email. 99 days after the pop-off tag had been attached, it was time to go get it. 99 days of data about what Shark 94 had been up to, it's on that tag. And now, all they have to do is find it. And so all systems was go. I was then on the hunt to try and zone in to where this tag had been, who, who had it, and where was it going to go next? The next morning, as Amy starts her search in earnest, things get a whole lot stranger. She can see that the tag has washed up about 800 kilometres south of where it had first been attached to Shark 94. And now, it was on the move. At that point in time, the tag we then started to follow, <laughs> travelling along the highway from 
a southern Sydney suburb of Barrick Heights in Shell Harbour, to Wollongong University. So we thought, let's get it out on social media and show people the tracks of this shark tag. So the social media campaign totally took off. Maybe it's just trying to get a BA in fin art. (laughs) People really wanted to help find this shark tag. We're going to need a bigger campus. But let's be honest, who doesn't love a game of treasure hunt? Looks, smarts and the ability to eat your enemies. What's not to love? Meanwhile, Amy is doing heaps of media interviews. She's trying to get the word out. Local Facebook groups start hypothesising. A few armchair shark detectives get on the case. But as the day wears on, the initial enthusiasm around the search starts to wane. Well, we did hear a few you know, social media um, alerts that people said, oh, I've got the tag or I I think someone's got the tag. And so we would investigate that, but it was led to a dead end. So we had our spirits high um, on a few occasions and it wasn't, um, didn't come to fruition. Amy contacts the tag's manufacturer. Their details are listed on the tag, but they haven't heard anything. It's now 24 hours since the tag popped off and washed ashore. And Amy knows that their GPS link to the tag's location it only has a limited lifespan. Because the tags have a, a restricted battery life, when they pop off, they are communicating to the satellites ahead to try and give us the best locational information so that we can retrieve the tag. And that period of time starts diminishing. So we knew that we had to act quickly um, and knowing that it was on land starts to concern us because we don't know if someone that has been doing a beach cleanup has picked it up and has thrown it in the bin. You know, the stress was rising. But Thursday morning brings with it some new valuable information. The previous day's movements go from a random jumble and they start to form a pattern. The tag travels again at 6.30 in the morning to the University of Wollongong. And Amy, she starts building a bit of a profile. So we started scratching our heads thinking, well, typical uni students, we don't want to stereotype, but they don't generally start that early. Hmm. Who who was going to have the tag that early on campus? Initially, everyone thought it may have been a tradie. Um, And so there was like, who has it? What's the person like? What's their role at the university? But we we didn't care who had the tag. And we wanted just to get the message out that the person that had the tag was not in trouble. They hadn't done anything wrong. We just wanted the tag back. Then late afternoon on Thursday, 48 hours since the tag had popped off, another big clue. As a satellite passes overhead, Amy gets the clearest picture yet of the tag's whereabouts. Yeah, well, we zoomed in, like we got really detailed information and and that was that it was suggesting that it was near the library. So the library had a car park, which is um, really in close proximity to it. And so we're like, wow, it's it's obviously in someone's car. Either someone's picked it up and they're unaware of what it is or a child's picked it up um, and put it in their bucket and put it in the back of the car and... Um, or someone has it and and doesn't know what it is. It's time for boots on the ground. Tomorrow, they hit the campus to spread the word in person. Amy spends the night making up flyers, calling around to collaborators across the university to see if anyone has a few hours spare to help them out with the search tomorrow. She's aware that with this pattern of movements and the passing days draining the tag's battery life, 
Friday might be her last real shot at recovering this thing. The union will be closed over the weekend. Come Monday, it'll be almost a week since the tag had popped off. They're running out of time. On Friday morning, Amy wakes to find exactly what she'd hoped to see on the satellite GPS update. It was back there at around 6.30 again in the morning in the car park. So bingo, we're, we're on. Amy sets out from her home in Sydney, drives to Wollongong, finds a car park on campus. Bordered by trees, there's space for around 100 cars in the lot. On their best intelligence, the tag is hiding here, somewhere, nestled in a boot or concealed in a glove box, just waiting to be found. But it's not going to be that easy. Friday was terrible weather. It was bucketing with rain, so we then had to put the flyers in plastic Ziploc bags to put on the cars because otherwise they were going to be just, you know, mush by the time the person got to their car. With the car park covered, Amy starts pounding the pavement. So we armed ourselves with the flyers, we put them all around the campus, we put them in cafes, we put them in libraries and key areas where we thought the students would see them. Um, And I approached endless uni students, researchers, workers in cafes. People were like, I'll keep an eye out. Um, But they said, you know, sorry, we don't have the tag, but we're aware of it. So look, I was a little deflated. It's lunchtime now. Amy has to head back to Sydney to do another radio interview, keep getting the word out. And just when she thinks the search has to come to an end for the day, she hears from a fellow shark lover. So I got a text. There's a shark tag near Wollongong, the University of Wollongong. Can you go and help find it? Um, I was also like, okay, uh, why, why does someone have a shark tag at the University of Wollongong? Dr Robert Gorkin is a biomedical engineer and an adjunct professor at the uni. His work doesn't have anything to do with sharks, but he has a keen interest in them, flying drones over his local beach, volunteering with the Surf Life Saving Club. And the other thing that he loves, data. All I needed to know is there's really good data on this. I need it. It's not about the piece of equipment. It's not about the actual thing. It's the data that's so important. And that's why I went and, and, you know, helped. So he makes his way to meet Amy in the car park near the campus library. I was a bit shattered that I had to leave, but I knew that I had to be in Sydney. So I passed the baton to him. He stayed. Um, and as a legend, he was. He set up camp and set up uh, a chair at the in the car park where we knew we were getting the detections of the tag. Yeah. So I just sat there and started, you know, pretty much costing people who came to their cars. So Robert picks up where Amy left off and it takes him a minute to get the hang of things. So, Robert, what does this thing look like to you? I mean, how are you describing it to people that you're approaching? Yeah, so um, it looks, in some ways, it looks like a light bulb with a little antenna. In other ways, it looks kind of like, um, it looks like a sex toy. And as Rob's trying to stop people from making their way back to their cars and explain what he's up to and what this thing is, he's getting some weird vibes. Everyone seemed a little edgy. Everyone seems a little little bit cautious because I, I have this raincoat on and I started to realize that what they're thinking is I'm a ranger. I, I'm thinking they're thinking I'm trying to, to give them a ticket. The other thing that didn't probably help is I was looking in people's cars. You know, it's kind of raining and I'm 
people are like, what the hell, you know? I was waiting for security to come and be like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> and then I was going to be like, well, I called you guys. There's a shark tag somewhere here. It is not easy. And there are some awkward early attempts. And then I'm like, no, 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 I'm a, I'm a junk professor here. We're trying to find a shark tag, blah, 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 blah. And like a few of them even said, that's the weirdest question I've ever had. And uh, once I explain what it is, and they're like, oh, it's a shark tag. Oh, no, that's crazy. Why would I have it? And then all of them were like, no, 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 I don't have it. But after that first hour, he does start to find his groove. It became comfortable. No, I'm not here to ticket you. No, I'm not here to cost you. Please don't, you know, call about sexual harassment. This is actually science. And somebody needs this really badly. I had gotten it down to a, a rhythm by that point. Then I just started talking to everyone. I was just like, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Rob's really in the swing of things now. He sticks at it for an hour and then into another. But as the afternoon wears on, he's getting tired and hungry. And the car park begins to empty. There's maybe, I don't know, 20 to 40 cars. So the chances are going down. But I'm also thinking, okay, well, you know, hopefully we're down to the dregs that somebody's going to have it. I was like, I'll, I'll give it another 15 minutes. And I go up and there's kind of like an uh, older gentleman going out to his pickup truck. This man's walking towards a ute. He's got a graying beard, a black T-shirt, some rimless glasses. And he's moving at a clip. He's pretty apprehensive. Well, I would say, like, he's kind of, like, looking at me. It was a Voga Cup racing day, a horse race. That's why I rushed in my car. I ignored everything around me. And the reason was to put a couple of bets on that race. You know, is this a ranger? What is this doing? Like, he's kind of like, you know, like, well, I'm going to get in, and if it is a ticket, I'm getting out of here, quick. And notice the bloke walking to my car could be Jehovah Witness, but <laughs> I said, nah, can't be, because they always dressed nice. And he, he was in, uh, I think, Dreisamon or... I get up to him and I knock on the door. He was like looking at me, rolled down the window, kind of like, who are you? And I'm shoving this picture in his face. And, and he showed me that and then asked me, is this familiar to you? You know, what is this? And I'm like, hey, have you, uh, I, 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 no ticket. I'm just wondering, have you, have you seen this? Actually, in that moment, wow, I got that in the car. And he's just like, it's here. And he couldn't believe that. But I seen so much excitement that I, uh, I don't know how to describe that. And I'm like, oh, can I see it? Can I see it? And finally, <laughs> I said, yeah, all right. So I'm dancing around his car. And while he's like, who's this crazy man? He was also like, look, chill out. It's, I don't know what this is. <laughs> I just don't think he thought it was that big of a deal. Piece of trash I picked up. That's about it. Robert was actually kid in a lolly shop. He was excited. Well, I thought it was going to be a student, or I thought it was going to be maybe a researcher or somebody else who it would have been turned into. That would be the likely suspect. This was probably the most unlikely suspect. And, like, kind of want to know what the story is. Because I'm like, what, why, how do you have this?
Uh, my name is Zoran, and I run two cafes with my wife and daughter at Wollongong University. Every afternoon, when he's closed up at the cafes on campus, Zoran walks the same two-kilometre stretch of beach near his home in Shell Harbour. It's been nearly five years every day to walk my girl. Dali is Bernese mountain dog, and it's a big, hairy, and that's the best part of the day. I know she needs that, I need that, and that's us. It's a dog, it's giving you more than you think that dog can. She listens when you talk, and, and she does, she understands a lot. And on this afternoon, as Zoran and Dali start walking, they see that big swells from the night before have churned things up, leaving piles of sand and debris on the beach. And we start walking, and all the way, she sniffs every single inch. But this time, on a half away, she stopped and started sniffing a bunch of seaweed and started digging. That would... Uh, makes me to go and have a look. And then I noticed that she dug out something. Uh, it was a greenish, uh, dark greenish, was covered in uh, algae and all that stuff. It uh, took me probably 10 minutes to scrape it off, to see the riding on it. Uh, a ranger is passing uh, probably once a week and I thought, OK, I'm going to see him sometimes and pass on him and done. But actually, didn't work out. To be honest, uh, I forget that I got that in a car. And what did you think when Rob approached you in the car park at the university? Uh, in that moment was, wow, how come this piece of plastic can make somebody that much happy. <laughs> but I do understand now why. And Zorin, did you get to go and put a couple of bets on the horses after that? I did. I had enough time. And did you win? It's actually I did, but I dropped the following weekend. <laughs> For Amy, the Shark Tag safe return it's the best news she's heard all week. And the elation. Oh, my goodness. I was so <laughs> excited. And it makes sense now when you step back. He's, he's an owner of a cafe um, at the University of Wollongong. He's there early to set up, to bake. So what did you learn about Shark 94 after you recovered the tag? The shark travelled south, um, so tagged in Evans Head, and he cruised down the coast of New South Wales and was detected as far south as a lake's entrance area in Victoria before heading back north into New South Wales waters in mid-April. This is amazing. Without using this type of tag, we would never have known that this shark went that far south. It's likely that with global warming and water temperatures increasing, that bull sharks will spend more time in these southern waters than originally anticipated. And where do you like to think that uh, he might be now, this bull shark? The last time we detected the shark was in mid-June at Kingscliff, which is in northern New South Wales. So we know that since the shark was tagged in late January, 
it has travelled over 2,660 kilometres. But I anticipate, like the rest of the bull sharks, greater than 1.9 metres in total length, are now headed north for the winter and spring, and they're likely to be in the warm, tropical waters of Queensland, where I wish I was. The mystery of the shark tag is solved. But the mystery of what Shark 94 gets up to, living the life of a bull shark somewhere out there, that mystery remains. So Amy patiently waits for the next tag to make its way back to her, hoping it'll offer up another glimpse into the secrets of the deep. And she's got two more attached to bull sharks swimming around out there right now. Soon the hunt begins again because these tags are due to pop off. So I, it's like deja vu. We're about to start the process again. So it'll be really interesting to see where the tags have popped off and who recovers them and if they're recovered. Good luck. I know. Uh, thank you. We need it. so much for listening to Days Like These. If you've got a story to share with us, please do. You can send us a voice memo or an email. We are dayslikethese at abc.net.au. If you haven't already, please follow Days Like These on the ABC Listen app or your favourite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. And while you're there, you can leave us a rating and a review. We love hearing what you think and it helps new people find the show. Days Like These is hosted by me, Elizabeth Coolass, and I reported today's episode. Our lead reporter is Pat Abud, sound designed by me and Angie Grant. The supervising producer was Sophie Townsend and our brilliant executive producers are Sophie Townsend and Ian Walker. Our theme song is Yeah Nah by the Gooch Palms, courtesy of Black Bag Records and BMG. See you next time. Next time on Days Like These, a brother and sister duo contend with a life-changing diagnosis, a family secret and a flooding disaster as they race across state borders to make it home for treatment. I just can't even fucking ask the doctors anything. Um, and I... Um... Yeah, I just want to know, like, how it works and what happens. Like, I assume everyone's just fine. Like, it's fine now. You, you just take medicine all of your life. I don't even know what the fuck HIV is. What, immunocompromising or something? That's coming up next week on Days Like These. And while you're waiting for that, why not take a listen to another great ABC podcast?
like this one. When Sydney journalist Juanita Nielsen disappeared, she sparked off one of this country's biggest crime mysteries. 46 years ago, almost to the day of this release, my aunt Juanita vanished. It's one of Australia's most notorious unsolved cases. Mrs Nielsen from a wealthy Sydney family was last seen alive on July the 4th, 1975. Juanita walked into a nightclub that morning in July for a meeting. It was broad daylight and she just vanished. Her body has never been found. Almost 46 years after Juanita Nielsen disappeared, the government is offering a million dollar reward to help find her remains. Just three weeks ago, Juanita's case made headlines again. The Sydney journalist was known for her activism with the Green Bands. The tragic disappearance of Juanita in 1975 is one of Sydney's horrible, unsolved mysteries. The state police investigation into Juanita's disappearance has gone for decades. And there was a coronial inquest into her suspected death that delved deep into the underbelly of King's Cross. I believe she was murdered by people who knew exactly what they were doing. But my family still don't have answers. At the time Juanita disappeared, it was rumoured that she was costing developers millions per day. Juanita Nielsen was a crusader. She ran a King's Cross newspaper and used her influence to fight developers who wanted to demolish heritage housing and build apartments. Juanita was a journalist and an activist. She lived on a street that was set to be destroyed by developers and she wanted to protect it. Juanita Nielsen was the editor of a crusading Sydney newspaper. In the process of some of her campaigns, she made a lot of enemies. There was violence. There were killers. There were corrupt police. And there were people who wanted Juanita out of the way. She was last seen here at the Carousel Club. It was owned by a Sydney businessman, Mr Abe Saffron, and run for him by a Mr Jim Anderson. What would Jim have to say to Juanita? Well, you know, friends of mine are um, involved in Victoria Street. If you value your kneecaps, leave it alone. My family has lived with this mystery for more than four decades. I want to know why why my family hasn't gotten answers. Every year that passes and it's further away from Juanita's death, we lose more and more possibility to solve the murder. Time is running out, so we've agreed we need to start our own investigation. We were convinced already that she'd been murdered. If you really threaten power, they'll kill you. It's that simple. Juanita Nielsen was collateral damage. Over seven episodes, I speak with people involved in Juanita's case who have never spoken publicly before. I track down new leads and witnesses and uncover powerful new evidence. They don't want the truth to come out. I wouldn't, you know, kill women or kids. Just crazy guys. <laughs> Did you kill Juanita? My name is Kieran McGee. Join me for Juanita the latest season of Unravel True Crime. The first two episodes land on July 13. You can listen to Unravel on the ABC Listen app or follow us wherever you get your podcasts.